All right, well, I think we'll go ahead and get started here. And uh, if some more folks trickle on in, we'll uh, join us then. But uh, I'm your host, Andrew, and I will be talking to you about the Avengers today. <laughs> so this is a special live episode of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. So I thought today, since we have reached the penultimate chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it would be fitting to kind of go back and look at the origin of the Avengers, where they came from, and, and also some of the more, also a, a more modern take on, uh, on the Avengers. So we're going to be looking at Avengers number one today, and also the uh, five-issue series Avengers The Origin from 2012. So just kind of setting the scene for us here, um, you know, the Marvel Universe as we know it really started back in 1961, primarily as a result of the work of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Basically, at the time, Marvel was putting out uh, the, the, the Monster of the Month books, and, you know, they, they were kind of getting fed up with it. Stan Lee was actually getting ready to quit. And there's a, a great but probably apocryphal story about uh, Martin Goodman going on a... On a golf game with Jack Leibowitz from DC Comics and that as a result of Leibowitz kind of bragging at the success of Justice League of America that Martin Goodman came back to Stan Lee and said I need a team book I need a book with a bunch of a bunch of heroes working together and and that was kind of the the genesis of Fantastic Four and the story itself probably is isn't true but it's a great story and uh really I think you know, kind of sets, sets the tone, right? They were kind of desperate to, to get somewhere. You know, comics had kind of come through a rough period, late 50s, early 60s, and was just kind of starting to recover, especially DC kind of finally bringing the superheroes back as um, the result of the, the comics code and things like that. So Avenger number one comes out in 1963, so two years later. Uh, it's written by Stan Lee, pencils by Jack Kirby, inks by Dick Ayers, and letters by Sam Rosen. Uh, the other book again, we're going to talk about is Avengers The Origin, coming out in 2012. It's written by Joe Casey, art by Phil Noto, and letters by R.S. and Comic Crafts' Albert Deschense. And of course, we're following our original Avengers, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, Ant-Man, and Wasp, who are all heroes in their own books, uh, in, in, in their own right, um, which I can think is kind of one of the interesting things about the Avengers, right? It brings together these really five successful comics, five successful heroes, and brings them into one book. Admittedly, Thor is kind of the, the, the borderline there as his, his solo title gets canceled shortly thereafter, uh, and he ends up doing a second backup stories to some other heroes for a while, and you know, quite honestly, Hulk leaves the team after issue two anyway, so yeah, you got that going for you. And I think probably the last thing before we actually get into into the, the books themselves is worth noting that, again, Avengers number one is written using the Marvel method, which for, for anyone who's not familiar with the Marvel method, Marvel method is basically uh, the writer, in this case, Stan Lee, would provide the artist, Jack Kirby, with a short kind of outline of what they wanted for the story. Anywhere from a couple of paragraphs to a couple of pages 
or in the case of Fantastic Four 48 through 50, uh, the infamous I want them to fight God outline. So that was all that was all Stan gave Jack. And then we get, you know, brilliant in comics. So, you know, imply what you will from that. Um, but from there, the artist would then take it. They would do all the plotting and they would come up with basically the story through the sequential art. From there, it would, obviously the art would get inked and then it would come back to Stan who would then write a script for the letterer to put in to the story kind of after the fact. So it really provides a highly collaborative and kind of unique experience because the artist gets to provide so much more of the story than under normal circumstances, especially at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so starting off, we have both books opening with Loki on the Isle of Silence for having been banished for some crime that isn't really explained. Uh, but we find, you know, Loki here kind of brooding and deciding that he needs to get revenge against Thor. So in the original Avengers, Loki decides that he's going to use Hulk to do this because Loki doesn't want to defeat Donald Blake, uh, Thor's lame, literally lame, uh, uh, secret identity. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Secret identity. And so he uses Hulk to kind of draw Thor out. Whereas in uh, Avengers The Origin, Loki decides that because Thor loves Earth so much, he's going to use those resources that are available to him on Earth in order to defeat Thor. Basically turn what Thor loves against him. So both books get this, what I love, this wonderful creepy eyes. Uh, as Loki kind of looks across the universe from the Isle of si Silence using his magic to try and find the, exactly the tools he wants to use. Um, again, you know, the, the two books are, are similar and different in a lot of ways. You know, they tell the same story. Um, the original issue of Avengers is 22 pages long. Right, so you've got a, a fairly tight story you've got to tell. Avengers The Origin is five issues, so it's roughly about 115 pages of story. So you're looking at literally five times the, the content. So it, it gives you a little bit of a chance to expand and um, get a little bit more character depth and, and go on a few tangents, if you will. But even with 115 pages, they still take a lot of little touches and things that relate it back to that original story, which is really great. And these creepy eyes are one of my favorites. So here you find, we find that Loki has, has decided on Hulk and that he is trying to get Hulk to, to do something that's going to get Thor's attention. So in, in both books, we get Thor to, or sorry, we get Hulk to destroy some train tracks. And of course, inevitably, we'll see in a moment here, there is a train coming because why would you destroy train tracks if there's not a train coming? It's like tying a damsel to the train tracks, right? A train has to be coming for this to work. So originally, Loki just kind of makes Hulk think there's some explosives on the track so that he jumps towards it and accidentally smashes the, the train tracks. 
in Avengers The Origin, Loki takes a little bit more of an active role and, and actually taunts Hulk and tricks him into kind of smashing the train tracks kind of in rage. You can see here, I especially love the, the Loki in the dirt um, coming up like that. Obviously, Loki's not really there. It's all, all his magic, all his illusions. And of course, like I said, you have the train coming. Now, again, Hulk being the hero that he is and, and being the misunderstood hero, Hulk actually prevents the train from derailing. He, he props up the tracks in both cases and saves the train. But because he's the Hulk, everybody assumes he did it maliciously. And so word gets back through media outlets and it gets to Rick Jones, who is Hulk's sidekick at this time. Uh, over the next couple of issues of Avengers, Rick actually transitions really from being Hulk's sidekick to being Captain America's sidekick. Um, Rick is kind of a dead ringer for Bucky, who at the time is still is still dead. But as this this gets to Rick, you know he knows Hulk and he knows that Hulk wouldn't do this, so he decides that he needs to go and clear Hulk's name and get some help. And as you can see, you know we got we got the the wonderful Marvel press corps who puts out newspapers in the course of about two panels. An event happens, and the next panel, there's newspapers for it. Um, the, obviously, the more modern retelling, it's, you know, with, with the changes in technology and cable news and whatnot, that's a little bit more re uh, realistic a, a happening. But again, everything gets back to Rick Jones. And so Rick goes to the Teen Brigade. Now, originally, the Teen Brigade is a group of nerdy ham radio operators. And as we'll see in a moment here, uh, the, the more modern Teen Brigade is a pro-social revolution group of hacktivists living in a bunker. It's a little, little bit of a twist there. Um, so the Teen Brigade uses, you know, what they know. So in, in the 1960s, it's ham radio operation. So they send out a radio transmission that they're trying to get to the Fantastic Four because the Fantastic Four at this time are really the greatest heroes in the Marvel Universe. So they're trying to get the help from the best. In, the more, in, in modern comics, we use email. And we get an email that Jane Foster finds written in Norse runes. Which I, I love because shortly hereafter, Donald Blake says, oh, don't worry about it, but go ahead and call the IT guy. Just, you know, just, just to be sure. But of course... Thor goes, or Donald Blake goes and turns into Thor. And I love the two transitions here because, you know, they're very similar, but, I mean, the, the changes in art style and really advances in, in sequential art storytelling do, do a lot. But, I mean, again, Jack Kirby's transformation there is still great. You know, I mean, Jack, Jack Kirby is Jack the King Kirby for a reason. So not only does this transmission get to Donald Blake, it also gets to Ant-Man and Wasp, and it also finds its way to Iron Man. Ant-Man and Wasp are kind of working in their garage, um, improving their technology, whereas Iron Man is actually giving a big presentation to a bunch of government agencies 
and is taking the time to brag about how advanced his cybersecurity systems are, and then it gets interrupted, as you can see, with the, the Norse runes email. Of course, the 1960s Iron Man is also great, because you get the chest pieced undershirt that he is constantly wearing, uh, and that he frequently has to plug into a wall to charge back up. Yeah, in, in Avengers The Origin, they, they show something similar, but he's got kind of like a, like a little um, like power pack he, he plugs himself into, and it's more of just like the, just the chest piece as opposed to the whole undershirt deal. So finally, the Team Brigade gets in touch with the Fantastic Four. Unfortunately, the Fantastic Four is too busy. They're off doing Fantastic Four things. But on a positive note... Mr. Fantastic says, hey, you know, we, we think that your transmission got to other people, which, as we know, it did. So, kind of with that, the Avengers have now started making their way to the Team Brigade. And original, you know, in the original issue, this is kind of a, a goofy thing where a bunch of superheroes show up in, in these kids' bedroom in, in suburban New York. In the more modern telling, Iron Man and Thor smash into this bunker and we end up with a bit of a Mexican standoff. As you can see, the Team Brigade's fairly well armed um, for teenagers. Especially the one in the back with the AK. That's a little, that's a little much, I think. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a, a different feel though you know, I, I can get the, the updating of, of the characters and of, the, of this part of the story for a more modern thing. You know, ham, ham radio operation really isn't much of a thing anymore. And certainly the hacktivist thing, especially 2002 to kind of now, it's a, a much bigger thing. But uh, yeah, the, armed, the armed teen brigade, I think, might be a little bit, little bit too much. So as the teen brigade and as... Uh, the the soon-to-be Avengers are figuring out what they're going to do and how they're going to help Hulk. Thor sees an illusion of Hulk that he pursues. When he realizes it's an illusion, it dawns on him that it's got to be Loki and that really the whole thing is uh, because of things that Loki is doing. Now, the original comic, it's five panels long and it's pretty innocuous. In Avengers the, the Origin, it's about three to four pages long. Um, and I put the family-friendly parts up here um, because there is definitely some head squishing on more than one occasion. Uh, this imaginary Thor, or I'm sorry, imaginary Hulk kills Iron Man, most of the Teen Brigade, and Rick Jones. Now, obviously, this is all an illusion inside Thor's head, so they didn't really die. But... Uh, it was a little surprising to me that they, they went that far with, with that illusion. So after this, Thor departs because he's going to go confront Loki about this whole thing. At this point, we cut to where Hulk has been hiding, which is in a circus. Now, in the original comic, this part didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I think part of it's because you're in the 22-page the kind of tight story, so there's a, there's a limit to how much you can actually put into that story. 
And so it, it just seemed kind of kind of forced, kind of shoehorned in there. In Avengers The Origin, since we've got a much higher page count, we can actually dive into what's going on a little bit more. And we find that the, the circus performers found Hulk hiding in one of their, their tractor trailers. And so Hulk is kind of welcomed in as, you know, just another one of the kind of outcasts from society. And the ringmaster puts him hiding in plain sight as this fake robot Mechanico who looks ridiculous and very unrobot-like and very clown-like. But, you know, they, they, they have the, the page count to explain things a little bit better and back up that story a little bit more. And I think it makes a lot more sense. It also introduces a, um, a character, the bearded lady, who is really quite sympathetic, uh, both to Hulk and just in general, I think, to the reader, where, you know, she really wants to help Hulk. And unfortunately, despite her, her best efforts, one, it's not as successful at helping Hulk, and two, um, it, her helping Hulk really ends up kind of destroying everything she holds dear. Um, you know, Hulk will definitely, um, you know, make an effort to, to help her and to save her, but in the end, you know, her person and her life is really all that Hulk is able to save. So again, as I said, you know, we get Thor coming back to Asgard. And I love these two panels because, like panel and, and page, because, you know, Jack Kirby is really known for his Thor and his Asgard work. And he really set the tone for that part of the Marvel Universe, even more so than, than most of the rest of the Marvel Universe. And it's great to see it carry over uh, in such a way from almost 50 years earlier to, to Phil Noto's work in, in 2012. The way the Rainbow Bridge works, I mean, just the look of Heimdall, the, the, the whole thing. It's, a, it's really great. So Thor has come to get permission from Odin to go to the Isle of Silence to go confront Loki. So that's what Thor is doing. Now, meanwhile, the Avengers are trying to find Hulk because they want to capture him and, and figure out whether or not he actually attempted to destroy the train or if he, uh, you know, he, there were some other mitigating circumstances there. So while they're doing this, Ant-Man sends out his ants to go search. And there is a, there's a great whole sequence where Iron Man lets Ant-Man into Tony Stark's lab to go build this super ant amplifier um, in Avengers The Origin. It's kind of one of those great tangents I talked about uh, earlier. But eventually the ants do in fact find Hulk and they erode the ground underneath him so that Hulk falls into a sinkhole. Um actually during, during one of the circus performances. And I really like the uh, Avengers The Origin because, you know, from here where he falls in, obviously the bearded lady's trying to help him. But then a number of the other circus performers get together and all try and pull him out. Now eventually, because he's the Hulk and he's 
you know, Hulk strong. He's able to get himself out, although he's just covered head to toe with ants. Um, so he's able to get himself out on his own. But I love the fact that there are people out there who are willing to help Hulk, even though they don't know him. You know, he's a, he's an outcast from society. They are outcasts from society. And so they, they work together really for that because of that, that bond. And eventually, the Avengers show up at the circus, and they have they throw down with Hulk, because that's you know what superheroes do—they fight things. Now, for the most part, in the original series, Ant Man and Wasp kind of distract Hulk for a while until he decides to break free from the circus tent, and you can see him really even taking the tent with him. In Avengers The Origin, Hulk fights Iron Man inside the tent for a while, and this is the point at which he actually ends up saving the bearded lady as parts of the tent are coming down and getting ready to crush her. Hulk steps in the way and saves her life. But again, you know, it's a circus. It's, it's not really on the greatest financial footing, so the destruction of the tent and everything with it that comes from this fight really kind of destroys the circus and its ability to continue on. And it's unfortunate you can see in the bearded lady's face just how crushed she is at, at how everything has kind of gone wrong. Um, but again, I, don't, I really get the feeling she doesn't regret helping Hulk. You know, she's, just, she's that kind of good person that no matter what, she thinks she made the right choice. It's just sometimes the right choice hurts a lot. So meanwhile, Thor is making his way to the Isle of Silence, and originally he's um, attacked by tangle roots and by what he refers to as volcanic gas globules, which is such a fun word to say. Which is, it's, I've, got, I've got it in my notes like four times because it's just it's fun. Um, but in the, in the uh, modern retelling... Thor is attacked by tentacles, which is kind of a odd fetishy kind of thing going on there. I don't really know what to think about that. Um, the tentacles crush his boat, and Thor gets washed ashore on the Isle of uh, Silence, where then he encounters the, the gas globules as opposed to before he gets to the island. And you can see, I do like the look of the gas globules because they look like giant things of Kirby Crackle. You know, Jack Kirby's known for like the little like dots of power coming off of people we refer to as Kirby Crackle. And these just look like giant volcanic sized Kirby Crackles. I really like it. And even in the, the more modern, the Phil Noto art, it's still a lot of the same, the same feel to it. These little, little balls of energy and gas kind of shooting off. And so Thor confronts Loki. And in... I've got these panels up here again, because like I said, there are certain parts that are similar, certain parts that are different. And I love the taking of these parts like this, you know, stuff that could otherwise really be a throwaway where Loki just kind of puts up a wall, Thor smashes through it. It's not really key to the story, but you know, in the, in the modern retelling, they felt that it was important enough to, to try and stay true to the original story to include things like this. 
and it looked cool, which is, you know, a lot of the reason I, I pull things up from comics. Eventually, Thor is forced to fight a whole mess of Loki duplicates. And eventually, Thor figures out, you know, which one's the real one. And Thor takes Loki into custody because, you know, a Thor and Loki fight, once Thor kind of gets through Loki's tricks, it doesn't last very long because God of Thunder, God of Mischief, Loki's really good at what he does, but it only gets him so far, you know? So while all of this is happening, the fight from the circus has now moved into a factory. In the original comic, it's a car factory. And in the modern retelling, it is a munitions factory. And I'll be honest, I really like the car factory better. I get that the munitions factory, they're kind of stepping up the game, stepping up the the stakes, putting in a higher risk of something going catastrophically wrong, higher civilian casualties, that kind of thing. But the car factory really lends itself to a lot of cool improvisation from both heroes. So you get Hulk turning some uh, engine belts and a uh, drive shaft into a makeshift slingshot. And then Iron Man turns around and turns that same drive shaft into kind of a metal hook harpoon deal. So you get a lot of like fun things like that. And I think that that's one of the places that Jack Kirby really shines is he comes up with these really interesting and unique ways of doing things. Whereas, you know, Phil Noto's art's great, but it's a fairly standard comic book kind of fight. You know, there's nothing particularly special. I like the reflection in Iron Man's helmet. I think that's a really cool touch. But outside of that kind of thing, you know, it, I, I would say that there's nothing memorable or kind of noteworthy about this fight. It's not something you, re- you remember any time after, after having read it. So the fight goes on until Thor shows up with Loki and explains that, hey, Loki is responsible for everything that has happened. And that, you know... We shouldn't be fighting against each other. We should fight against, you know, Loki. Hold him accountable. At which point, in the original comic, Loki makes himself radioactive. Because this is Marvel Comics and it's the 1960s and everything is radioactive. Thor is, or Hulk is radioactive. Spider-Man is radioactive. Loki makes himself radioactive. The X-Men are created because of radioactivity. Everything is radioactive. In the modern retelling, I think it... Maybe it works a little bit better. It's a little less goofy than everything being radioactive. They just make it so that he's giving off some form of unidentifiable energy. Uh, and again, a note, note to Jack Kirby there with the Kirby crackle pouring off a low key. So during the fight, Wasp found this containment vessel of, of some kind. And she's working on making it so that they can trap Hulk in this containment vessel. Instead, when Loki shows up, Wasp goes ahead and traps him in there. Um, now, originally, it's more of an intentional thing. In the retelling, you know, Wasp is preparing to trap Hulk, and they basically set off the trap on Loki instead of Hulk. So she's a little bit surprised there that 
uh, Hulk is uh, Hulk is not her 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 victim there. But otherwise, they have now defeated Loki, and we finally get to the end of the issue. And it's interesting because in the original issue of Avengers, the formation of the team is almost like an afterthought. It happens in the last four panels. And really, it's this last panel that kind of forms the team. In Avengers The Origin, they spend probably a little bit too long, I think, trying to form the team. Um, It takes place a few days later, and all the team members have gotten together to discuss really what they need to do in order to um, wrap up and, and actually legally form the team. So any paperwork, anything like that, because, you know, that's what I want to read about. I want to read about filling out paperwork. I do that enough at work. I don't, you know, don't need to do that in my off time. But, uh, you know, they get together and they're talking about this and eventually Hulk actually, you know, crashes their meeting and insists on joining the team. And I actually think that becomes a little bit funnier than just Hulk joining the team in the original issue because Hulk insists on joining the team and then quits the next issue. Okay, well, fine. I guess guess you wanted to give it a try and decided it wasn't for you. You know, whatever, man. Um, Avengers The Origin also, with hindsight... They take some time and kind of, you know, talk about how the how great the team's going to be and how the team's going to keep going and things like this, and they they do flash it kind of flashbacks, I guess, you know, flashback, flash forward, depending on how you look at it, to different events in the Avengers history. So the Kree Skrull War, the wedding of Vision and Scarlet Witch, kind of seminal moments in the Avengers as they're kind of talking about the team's future potential. Um, it's interesting. I think it's a little unnecessary and, and kind of overkill for an origin, but it's at least well done. Um, so that actually will, that actually concludes both, both issues. You know, overall, I think, you know, the original Avengers is a classic and it's written by a master really kind of at the height of his, of his talent. Um, I will admit I don't necessarily think it's Jack Kirby's best work. I think his be- his his work on Fantastic Four and on Mighty Thor is much better, is much stronger. But even over the course of the next couple of issues, you know, Jack really steps up the game, especially with the reintroduction of Captain America. I think I think this is one of those times where, you know, a number of these characters Jack Kirby didn't write in it or didn't didn't uh, pencil initially. So he's not as familiar with the characters. So as he spends a few issues getting more familiar with the characters, um, his ability to use them drastically increases. So by the time we get to issue number four with Captain America, which is a character he created 20 years earlier and is his creation, he really knocks it out of the park on that issue. Um, But, you know, in general, I think Avengers The Origin is a faithful retelling. I like Phil Noto's art. And I think the additional um, material they add kind of helps flesh out the story. Again, with, a, with 22 pages, there's only so much you can do. You know, 
50 years later with kind of more modern comic sensibilities and the fact that you, you can use a five-part miniseries to tell this story, you know, there's a lot more character depth and motivations you can explore. And it's, it's a lot more interesting, I think. Um, so that's all I have officially here. Um, again, uh, we are a weekly podcast. You can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can email me at Andrew at Avengers Assembly. We are available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Um, so since we have a few more minutes, um, I do tend to research most of my stuff. But if you guys have any questions, I can see what I can, what rabbits I can pull out of my hat. That's a good question. I don't, um, I'm not sure. I want to say it has to, it, it's going to be before and it's going to set up their roles in the next Avengers film. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm not really certain kind of where in the timeline it's going to fall with, re, with regards to infinity war. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm curious exactly where they're going to, where they're going to put it. I also get the feeling that it's going to explain, you know, where certain characters were during Infinity War. I mean, we can hope. <laughs> Again, folks, thanks for coming out.